Part Two of Just Me by Pearl White. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Drugstore Man. His name, I still remember, was Fortis Redmond, and wherever he is today, I feel a deep gratitude toward him, because it was he who caused the first affection my poor comic little soul had ever known. How I adored that doll, and how I adored him! this adoration lasted for years but as i was still rather shy and timid i was afraid to display my feelings and i suppose he did not suspect me of having any gratitude at all i was a funny kid and although i did brazen up once in a while and go out and do things still i was easily frightened and ready to run at the drop of a hat along about this period old auntie disappeared they told me that she had gone to a better world I don't suppose that I understood anything about death, because I remember wishing that my father would go there, too. I was very happy for a while, and life was all joy, because there was nobody to make me go to bed early or clean me up. None of us ever paid any attention to our poor old grandmother, and I guess my father spent most of his time down at the village discussing politics and crops with the farmers. This wonderful state of affairs did not last very long. An aunt from St. Louis appeared on the scene, bringing her four children with her, and although it was wonderful to have so many kids to play with, it proved a catastrophe for me. My aunt and my father got together and established more or less discipline. He also started to break me of my cowardice, and made the older children keep themselves clean and wash us younger ones. We were also sent to Sunday school. Church was a place, all through childhood, of which I was very fond, even before I realized its meaning. I always liked the singing and the crowd of people. I even grew to like being dressed up in my Sunday clothes. My father must have had a religious streak just then, for I remember him as being quite a prominent figure in the congregational church that we went to. It was also about this time that he tried to break my brother and myself from lying and stealing. But as usual, he employed drastic methods. I don't ever remember him trying to teach us that it was wrong to lie and steal, but I do remember his threats of punishment, if we did. And believe me, he kept his promise when he caught us. I can remember very vividly the strap he used to employ. It was along about this time that I became acquainted with a place that afterwards figured in all my childhood dreams, ambitions, and plots. Before my birth, my father had erected a large factory for the purpose of drying apples. But this business he must have either failed or tired of, because at the time of which I speak, it had been unused for years and was starting to go to rack and ruin. The apple evaporator, as it was called, was a large, plain building, standing in one corner of the grounds about a mile and a half from the house. There was a little pond behind it, which was frozen over in the winter and generally half-dried up in the summer. It was this same little pond which caused my aunt's exit from the household. Her youngest child was about two years old. I guess we children must have learned at church the story of Moses and the bulrushes. Anyway, we stole a basket from somewhere, put the infant into it, and pushed it out into the middle of the pond where, by the same token, it was almost drowned before it was rescued by some neighboring farmhands. So my aunt gathered together her belongings and declared that her brother's children had demoralized her own, 
which up to that time had been well trained. Then, in dire disgust, she departed. I must have gained in courage a little by that time, because I remember giving one of my cousins a good punching as they were leaving for the train. To be sure, I ran away afterwards, but never mind. My father's second marriage. It took place when I was about six years old. He had been in Washington, D.C., off and on, I suppose, for he married a woman from that city who had quite a good deal of money and very good social position. I remember my grandmother calling us three children together, and telling us that our father was bringing home a new mother for us, and that we must be nice and try to love her. Of course, we bitterly resented this, and began to plot about the terrible things we were going to do to her. Even my sister, who very seldom mingled with us roughneck kids, joined in this. What a gorgeous-looking creature this stepmother was! She arrived in the humble little village with dozens of trunks full of wonderful clothes and absolutely dazzled the natives. To me she represented a wonderful picture in a fashion book. Poor woman! I guess her arrival in our midst was a terrible shock. I think she had expected to find a wonderful estate, well kept, with three nice little kitties, instead of a filthy old ruin harboring a weak-minded old woman and a couple of young outlaws. In all my travels I have never met such a complex person as this stepmother was. She was ridiculously proud, and as cold and haughty as a regent queen. She must have suffered a great deal through those ensuing years, but her spirit was never broken. She at once became a stern ruler of the household, and believe me she ruled with a rod of iron. Still, she must have had a lot of kindness smothered up somewhere in her heart, for this woman, who had never known work, dived in, and resurrected the entire works. I don't know just how it came about, but that she did have a terrible temper I do know. Anyway, my father's mother was soon packed off to his sister's home, and a bitter quarrel rose between herself and my mother's mother, who lived across the road from us and from then on we were never allowed to communicate with my mother's relations. Even my oldest brother, who lived with them, never came into our house again, nor did he even speak to us. Poor fellow! My brother Fred and myself took my stepmother's side in the quarrel, and used to shower him with rocks whenever we caught him alone on the road. Our household soon became one of cleanliness, and money became rather plentiful, because the house was completely remodeled, and we ate bathed, and slept at regular hours. We children were each given a certain amount of work to do, such as carrying in the wood, washing the dishes, and feeding the chickens. In fact, from that time on, my stepmother, with the help of us three, did all of the work, and we never had a servant. All of the trunks of my dead mother's clothes were opened up, and she made them over for us. We had to say our prayers each night at our stepmother's knee and kiss her forehead when we said good night. She did a lot for us, I know, but her nature must have been rather devoid of tenderness. Everything was done in a cold, methodical way, and we obeyed through fear rather than from a sense of willingness. I can never remember any demonstration of affection on her part throughout my entire childhood and I never even kissed my father until the last time I saw him, which was about three years ago. Then that was done more or less in a comedy spirit. 
for a few years we lived amid clean surroundings with plenty to eat and wear and we certainly learned discipline inside the house at least we had to confine our playing and romping about during the summer months to the old apple evaporator in the winter we were sent to school at school i must admit i was never a great success besides being rather dumb i was lazy and the only thing i ever made much progress in was reading i always had a vivid imagination and how excited i used to get about fiction stories from the fairy tale days on the schoolhouse to which we went was about two miles away and as all the children walked to school there was a chance to settle on the way home any little quarrel that might have arisen during school hours for about half of my first term my journey homeward was generally spent on the run and the kids used to call me freight cat but the tables turned along about christmas time on the friday before closing school for the holidays we had an entertainment in a christmas tree the first one that i had ever seen i received several presents off the tree and a prize for reciting a box of colored crayons it was and i felt very superior to the other children on the way home a boy tried to take my prize away from me and i pitched into him with my fists and feet and although he was larger than i i had a lot of strength and gave him a good thrashing from that time on i never ran and i settled up a good many old grievances besides during my second term at school i became a regular warrior and was continually getting my nose punched by the older boys but the assurance that my father would welcome me with a trusty old strap in hand if i didn't come out victorious made me stick to the finish and it wasn't long before all of the kids avoided picking a row with pearl white my first christmas tree the one at school followed by one at the methodist church we were now methodists i afterwards became a catholic then still another tree at home made that christmas a time of times in my life dolls began to figure strongly in my life too and i developed quite a tendency to sew clothes for them this sewing instinct was always encouraged in me by my parents and i am glad that it was for in after years, when I saw my hard times, it helped me a great deal to be able to make my own clothes. It was along about this time that my deportment began to get better. I think my Sunday school teacher did more for me in that line than anybody else. It was during my first vacation, I was then a little over seven, that my brother started selling newspapers and I used to help him. In fact, I became quite a little news girl on my own hook. This was in a way responsible for my first dip into the show business. I knew some children in the village who had once been taken to a nearby city and had seen a performance of Uncle Tom's Cabin. They had told me the wonders of that show for months, and when the news arrived that Uncle Tom's Cabin was going to play Greenridge, I was in a terrible state of excitement and anticipation. It was Sunday. My father and stepmother had gone to Sedalia, the nearest town of any size. This town was twelve miles away, and they used to drive there in a one-horse cart. But the trip through the woods and over the rough roads was very tedious, so they generally spent a day or so before returning home. The troupe, which was to perform Monday afternoon and night, arrived in the village to rest over Sunday. 
they were to play under a canvas tent which they carried with them as they had been showing in a lot of small towns which didn't boast a theater i think this troupe was one of stetson's uncle tom shows anyway i do remember the manager's name was hall and he was to me then the most wonderful man that i had ever seen even in after years i used the name of hall on the stage in memory of him i guess i was the first kid on the lot when they started to put up their tent i played hooky from sunday school and with my papers under my arm as an excuse i hung around with the performers the entire morning i finally got a little attention through singing snatches of ragtime songs that i picked up in the village that must have given mr hall his inspiration the little girl who was playing eva was quite ill with measles or something and was hardly able to play so he asked me if i would like to take her place in the show next day would i i would have given my life to he told me that i must tell no one about it and also get my father's consent that was difficult he being away but i was not to be thwarted in my ambition that day so it cost me nearly every penny and play toy i owned to get my older sister to write a note saying it was all right and signing my father's name they spent hours that afternoon and the next morning rehearsing me and i don't think i told a soul in the village what was going on except my sister anyway i went on the next afternoon and the performance all painted up very white and wore a blonde wig with long curls my own hair they always kept cut short i also wore the little girl's clothes that the part belonged to it was her wig too and although they didn't fit very well when i saw myself in the glass with my red lips and my long hair i imagined i looked rather beautiful and for the first time in my life i was pleased with the world and myself i guess i must have gotten along all right through the matinee performance for that night i was to play the part again and i was so changed by the makeup that scarcely anybody in the audience had recognized me but after the matinee when minus wig and clothes but with my face still painted i appeared at the front door of the tent i was recognized by the crowd and became quite the idol of the day i absolutely danced through the entire village heralding the fact that i was an actress this news greeted my father when he arrived back home and found the three kids missing there were very few small children at the night performance the audience was composed mostly of grown-up people and the youngsters that were there were too thrilled with the show to bother me much however every once in a while some urchin would holler at me but i was too pleased with myself to notice it much for i was acting right out with all my might and main my father on hearing the news had rushed down to the tent maybe my escapade amused him at any rate he let me finish the performance and although he was backstage i didn't see him until a final tableau which by the way ended in a large tragedy i was standing on a stepladder behind a curtain that had a hole cut in it which was veiled in with a piece of mosquito netting and a spotlight was shining upon me this conglomeration was meant to show little eva's ascension to heaven everything was going lovely and i was feeling thoroughly angelic when i happened to glance down and saw my father standing in the entrance 
This gave me such a start that I lost my balance, tumbled through the curtain down onto the stage below, and struck up a howl that nearly wrecked the opera. I guess my father must have felt sorry for me, because, strange to say, he didn't punish me, although he did make some terrible threats about what would happen to me in case I ever did attempt to act again. This little trip into the show business gave me a thrill that lasted all through my younger days, and made me always wanting to be on exhibition. End of Part 2